This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to the show. Chris Graham here, and it's Jerry Ratcliffe's show, and Jerry's here with us, and we're going to talk some UVA football recruiting, UVA basketball news. We'll start with football. Uh, yesterday was early signing day for uh, football across the country, and uh, Virginia signed a class of 19. And uh, Jerry, um, your thoughts, uh, and, and I know you were there with, uh, uh, with Coach El Elliott yesterday as he was breaking down the class. Your thoughts and, and what Tony had to share as well about uh, the 2023 recruiting class. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I think they uh, closed strong, Chris. Uh, it's, it's not a particularly um, overwhelming, eye-popping recruiting class, obviously. I think the ranked uh, – I haven't checked uh, if it upgraded any after Cam Robinson signed after 6 o'clock last night, hours after they released the class. But uh, heading into that, they were number 54 nationally on Rivals, number 61 on 247 Sports, and number 63 on On 3 Sports. That included all the uh, – FBS and FCS schools, so quite a few. Yeah, the, comp uh, the composite ended up being 60. If you average the three out, they were 60. Yeah. Um, and 13th in the ACC out of 14. Right. Yeah, I think they were ahead of Syracuse only, who I yeah. think signed only like 16 players. Yeah. Um, but, uh, again, they, they closed strong. Uh, uh, the the uh, – the two kids they signed late uh, in the process, uh, the Buchanan kid out of Georgia, uh, uh, Mal uh, Malachi, yeah, McKay, McKay Buchanan out of Georgia, defensive lineman, and uh, Jason Hammond, uh, a defensive lineman from St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale. <clears throat> Those two. Plus, I think Cam Robinson, the, the linebacker from Tappahannock, who is one of the top ten players in the state, um, I think boosted the class. Otherwise, I, I, I think their numbers would have been uh, – their rankings would have been even even worse. But uh, those three guys, I think, are, are pretty decent uh, signees. Uh, overall, I, it's not a, a real strong class. Um, and – uh, I think they did better in the transfer portal than they did last year, although uh, the portal obviously won't close for some time yet. They got four guys uh, highlighted by Kobe Pace, the running back from Clemson, who uh, had a really good uh, 2021 but was injured for much of 2022. Um Tony was excited about it, uh, his first recruiting class. And I, I guess, you know, if you're head coach anywhere, you have to be excited about who you sign. If, you, if you're not, it doesn't bode well for your fan base. But uh, they try to paint a, uh, a positive picture on it. And I guess considering all that they went through, uh, uh, a really bad season and the tragedy at the end, uh, the fact that they were able to – Signed 19 high school players and four transfer portal guys uh, is, is somewhat of a surprise that they were able to do that because 
I would imagine it it would be hard to convince kids to come here uh, under those kind of circumstances. I was shocked that uh, well, one okay, the Robinson kid, Cameron Robinson, the the, the pearl of this class, the four star linebacker. I wasn't impressed with how he announced yesterday. <laughs> I don't know. Did you? Did you? I did not. In? I did not see how he announced. Oh well. It was six o'clock. I mean, they made us wait till the end of the day, you know, and he decided, even though he'd committed in July um, and he was a hard commit, supposedly back in July, um, he visited South Carolina and Florida State a couple of weeks ago. And um, he, he decided to do an Instagram live from his high school. And it went on for over a half hour. And uh, he had three hats sitting on his uh, on the table in front of him. And he grabbed the Florida State hat first. I don't know. I, I don't know how a kid like that fits in at UVA. That, that, I'll just say that. I, I, you know, the transfer portal being what it is, um, I would worry about a kid like that. That could, um, you know, that was a very, hey, everybody pay attention to me kind of thing. And, and I, you know, I, I, I would wonder how Tony Elliott would, would, uh, would uh, I know he's, they sent a statement out within seconds of the announcement finally being final. Um, I would wonder, though, privately how Tony would respond to, um, to a kid doing that with uh, with an announcement, especially again, given that months ago he had committed uh, supposedly as a hard commit to Virginia. I have never been in favor of the uh, hat part of the ceremonies that recruits do now. It started a few years ago where they have the hats of the various schools they're considering on the table in front of them, and they tease the audience by picking a couple up and then finally putting on the hat of where they're going. I've never liked that. Well, especially uh, for a kid who'd already committed to Virginia, and then he picked up the Florida State hat. Ah, I just, I, yeah, I, I don't like them in general either. But at least in those situations where you don't know where they're going, it makes you know it's whatever. It's LeBron James, LeBron James back in 2010 or whatever it was. But yeah, that I don't know, man. That you know he he, you know if if you if you're going to come to Virginia, come to Virginia. Sign the paperwork like everybody else did, and 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 you know put your hat on and get out there and play football. He he, he made it about himself. Yeah, you know, and uh, at least one national recruiting service had him 100% going to Florida State. So the fact that, yeah. that he uh, picked Virginia at the last minute was a recruiting coup for Tony and his staff. I, I, I give a lot of credit to Clint Sinem, uh Virginia's uh, assistant coach. for He was the lead recruiter on that and for being able to convince um, – convince him to just Robinson to stick with his original commitment. Uh, a lot of guys decommit obviously these days, but I, th I think Sinem gets, a, should get a lot of credit for uh, landing this gun and bringing him into the Virginia fold for sure. We hope he makes a tackle at Virginia before he, tra I, I'm, I'm being cynical there. I hope he makes a tackle before he transfers out, but he's a talented player, no doubt about it. No, a number 25 linebacker in the country. Um, I agree with you, Jerry. The Kobe Pace kid from Clemson is um, is an interesting pickup. Um, you mentioned that he was really good in 2021 for them, and then injuries last year put him down a depth chart. Um, you know, he had he had two games uh, in 2021 over 100 yards. He's clearly the kind of guy that could be a feature back um, if he's healthy. This could be a huge pickup for Virginia. Yeah, and you know, I, I asked Tony yesterday to. Uh talk a little bit about the running back room. and They've got a ton of guys uh, coming back in the backfield, uh, some of them with experience, some with not so much. But uh, 
they're not going to be hurting at the running back spot, that's for sure. And uh, this kid, uh, Pace, has a chance to to really do something. I, he was uh, – Tony, he actually committed to Tony out of high school down at Clemson. And uh, he's a, he's from Georgia. Uh, but he's a big kid. He's uh, 5'10", 205, so he can carry the load. And, um, yeah, I, I think he was probably going to be the guy that was Clemson's feature back instead of Will Shipley until uh, – until he got hurt. So uh, to have a guy like that in your backfield is going to help. Um, uh, finding an offensive line that's going to block for him is another question. Uh, the fact that Logan Taylor and uh, John Flores, uh, John Paul Flores entered the transfer portal last week, I don't think they saw that coming. So they're going to have to try to find a couple more linemen, and uh, and then uh, Leach and um, Derek Devine, their right guard and right tackle, both decided they were hanging it up. They weren't going to play football anymore. I'm sure they probably could have gotten a little more eligibility from somewhere had they wanted it. But uh, for the second straight year, Chris, they've essentially lost – they're starting offensive line because uh, Logan Taylor and Flores are transferring out. Devine and Leach are hanging it up. That leaves uh, Justice Johnson and Ty Furnish, the two returning centers, I guess. And uh, and the guys that played uh, backup throughout the year. Uh, Mikhail Bowley got a lot of experience for a true freshman. Uh at the left tackle spot, so that that should help. Noah Josie should be coming back. Uh, I think he has a lot of potential. I think he's coming back. He, I don't think he entered the portal, did he? Yeah, I have not seen that he has yet. No, no. And then uh, Zach Teeter, I think <laughs> I think he entered the portal. He did. Uh, Houston Curry, I think, is coming back. So they have a few guys back that have got a little bit of time, but. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be another project for whoever the new offensive line coach is going to be, and that's so, right, and that's that's with Garrett Touje, the uh, offensive line coach, the last seven years, including the first year of the Tony Elliott era. He's now at NC State, back re- reuniting with Robert and I down there at NC State, with and I getting the job as offensive coordinator down there. So you you need some bodies, and you need a coach, <laughs> um, you know. And and I would guess, I mean, I don't I don't know if it came up yesterday or not. I guess. Uh, you know, Coach Elliott was probably talking more about the recruits than he was about um, the, the program in general. But I would assume in, on, on Tony's behalf that um, finding an offensive line coach, it has to be priority number one because, you know, if, if you got – now that you're losing four guys off your offensive line, um, you need to find a coach to start recruiting some kids, um, and especially off the portal because obviously the prep recruiting is not going to work for that. You're not going to really, for the most part, plug in um, – prep guys to your starting offensive line so you need a guy in place to start beating the bushes for some some guys to play line next year yeah we asked him about that and he said he didn't really have a timetable that he was in no hurry that he wanted to get it right um i don't know what all that entails but uh you would think they would want to like you said get somebody in here who can start beating the transfer portal bushes if nothing else because my God, there's there's plenty of uh, people in the portal to choose from if you can uh, corral a couple of guys with experience. Um, it certainly wouldn't hurt. 
Uh, you would think some of these guys that were unhappy wherever they were would have a, a chance to start immediately here. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I would think that would be a priority. Um, we also asked him a little bit about the quarterback room uh, with Armstrong gone. And they signed uh, a transfer, as we've talked about on this show before, Tony Musket, <clears throat> the quarterback from Monmouth, a CAA, former CAA school, I guess, and uh, also a kid, Anthony Calandria uh, from St. Petersburg, Florida, who had uh, unbelievable throwing numbers down there and seemed to be underrated in some circles. Um, a lot of people who have watched him said that the kid can play, so certainly he'll he'll get a chance to here. Uh, there's quite a few guys in that quarterback room, and um, including the guy who was deemed quarterback of the future, Jay Wolfock. Um, and we talked about him a little bit yesterday and, and what's going to have to happen since he's a uh, potential – potentially in Brian uh, O'Connor's starting rotation as a pitcher this spring. And uh, obviously baseball season's only a couple of months away. And uh, we asked Tony Elliott how, how that's going to work. And he said he and, and uh, O'Connor will have to sit down sometime uh, after Christmas. And uh, I, I don't know if Virginia has their baseball schedule set in stone yet or not, but uh they're going to have to go over UVA's baseball schedule, and Tony, I guess, will have to try to work his spring practice schedule somewhat around that. Uh, obviously, he has no problem with Wolfock being a two-sport guy, but he said if he wants to be the starting quarterback of Virginia, he's got to come to practice in the spring. So. They're going to have to make some elaborate plans to try to make sure he can show up for practice and, and still pitch and, and be in tune with uh, Brian O'Connor's baseball program. If he's a – I mean, whether he's a starter or a reliever, but if he's a starter and he's either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, you know, it, it's not just that you're only with the team on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. You've got stuff you've got to do between starts. You know, you're throwing, you're running. And some of that can be incorporated into your football too, but – um, he's also got to go to class. I mean, he's also a student athlete. So um, there's 15 practices in 29 days uh, for spring football. And, you know, yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting. And, you know, last year, you know, he was able to work around that. Um, I, I don't think he was at football practice too much, but what I remember was that Wolfolk um, was, was able to learn the offense. He, he did a lot of, you know, after, after practice sessions with, um, uh, the quarterbacks coaches, Des Kitching, the offensive coordinator, um, and with Brennan Armstrong. But uh, if you're going to be the starting quarterback, you need more than tutoring sessions. You need to get out there and have reps. And you need to probably take, you know, if not the majority of if – not, if not all the first-team reps, at least the majority of first-team reps. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a challenge. And, and, you know, I don't know about the quarterback room after that. You've got – you mentioned the Monmouth kid, uh, you know, the the – the, the kid who just signed yesterday. Um, I'm not sure. Is he a spring enrollee or not would be a question, but uh, yeah, he is. He's a spring enrollee. So yeah. um, six, he's listed at six feet tall, 182 pounds. He, he probably needs to gain a little bit of weight. Um, 
to withstand the rigors of a college season. But, uh, you know, yeah, there's not a lot there, unfortunately. Uh, other, other than that, I still think there might need, you know, they, there might be a need to find another quarterback off the portal just to, to, to flesh that room out a little bit more. There's a, there's the kid from Liberty Christian. Um, his name escapes <laughs> me at the moment. Uh, he came in as a true freshman this past season, didn't get any time, and uh, he might have got some mop-up duty somewhere. I can't remember. And then uh, uh, Delaney Crawford, the kid from the uh, athlete from California, uh, I think they, I think they might have moved him to a different spot during. I thought so too. Wide receiver, think, maybe. Yeah, but I think maybe he might be back in the mix again. I'm not sure. And uh, so there's they've got. They've got some people there. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, of how they decide to break up reps and stuff in the spring. I, I would think um, with Musket coming in as a early enrollee, I, I would think he would get a lot of reps as well uh, to see what he can do. It's, it's uh, but yeah, Wolfuck is going to have to get a lot of work because uh, this is a vital spring for him. Even though he's been in the program, he didn't play any last year, and uh, so his his really only playing experience was two seasons ago against Notre Dame when Armstrong was had the broken ribs, and, and that was in a different system too. That was in, that was in an eye system, exactly. So uh, yeah, they've got a lot of work to do this spring on their in the quarterback room for sure. In defense as well, um, you know, there are some guys coming back that are key, but, boy, they're losing some, some guys. Uh, Finchell Swipers, the cover corner, we talked about this on the show uh, when, when the announcements were made, but Finchell Swipers, he's getting some looks. Boy, everybody at the top of Power 5 wants this kid, um, and we can see why. The numbers, you know, and what he did last year as a shutdown corner uh, indicating that. I know Nick Jackson's entered the portal, the middle linebacker. Um, he's indicated that he could come back. Um, that'd be great if he did. Um, but those are two key guys to lose off your defense, um, which was a pretty good unit last year. Uh, sure was. And uh, even though they do have a lot of guys coming back, they they did lose some key personnel. And, and uh, I think Cypress and Jackson really hurt, if assuming that they're staying in the portal. And I, I'm assuming that they are. Uh, Tony Elliott said yesterday that uh, – they were really surprised that Cypress entered the portal. They were counting on him coming back. They had no idea he was <clears throat> going to leave. So that left him in a lurch. Um, the secondary took a, a, a pretty big hit uh, from either the portal or guys going into the NFL or graduating. So um, even though they have quite a few guys coming back, they're, they're not of, of his level. And, um, uh, from everything I've seen, he's one of the most coveted guys in the transfer portal. So uh, certainly he'll end up somewhere, probably in a in a real, really impressive winning program would be my guess. Um, and you would think Jackson would be too, because uh, I would think he's rated pretty high in the portal, uh, linebacker with his uh, his caliber. So um, they did uh, their. Of their 19 signees yesterday, well, 23 if you count the uh, transfers. I think, uh, let's see, I believe 13 were on offense and 10 were on defense. So, um, fairly well spread out in, in, in that regard. 
so I think John Rudzinski has, uh, uh, you know, enough guys coming back that he can work with, but uh, certainly uh, some key losses there for sure. Yeah, and again, that was a good I – mean, yeah, he's, he's also losing Anthony Johnson, the other corner. When you yeah. look at the numbers, those two guys put up, Cypress and Johnson on the two corners. Um, that's why Virginia's defense was as good as it was last year. Um, they were able to control the passing game to a great degree, uh, unlike the team the year before. Um, so, uh, you know, we've covered a lot there. Uh, anything else from uh, yesterday, Jerry, that, uh, that we haven't covered yet that uh, jumps into your mind? Um, not, not really. Um, I mean, just some other little notes that I, I have in a story today about some of the guys who are coming back. Um, and, uh, both the tight ends are, are coming back. Uh, Paula Carey, uh, King and Clary, Ahern, Chico Bennett, Hunter Stewart, they're all coming back. Uh, Famui and Cam Butler are the two that are taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility from the shooting tragedy. Um, so they do, they do have a lot of defensive guys coming back. And again, it's just, they've lost a couple of key people. That's going to be hard to replace. Um, talk to him a little bit about the portal and, uh, <clears throat> and NIL for, uh, future stories. But, uh, I think. Uh, the wide receiver room, I, I think, you know, they're, they've, they've, they've got some guys coming back, but obviously they took some hits there as well with guys entering the portal or deciding to go pro. So um, it's not going to be as an exciting uh, preseason list of receivers as there was a year ago, but the, there are some guys with some experience and a chance to make their mark here. Yeah, I thought I'd give a quick overview. I did a piece today for Augusta Free Press looking at um, the ACC uh, recruiting, um, give an overview, I guess. Uh, Miami, um, I, I, I was kind of snarky, to say the least, when I wrote my lead. Miami dominates the ACC two days a year. The ACC kickoff on signing day. <laughs> so yesterday being signing day, it was a good day for Miami fans. Um, their uh, group was first in the conference this year, according to the rating services and fourth nationally. Now I yeah. noted that I went back 10 years and I went back to their national ranking in the recruiting classes of the last 10 years. They've averaged a 16.7. And, um, you would think that a, a, a program that had a 16.7 average ranking over a 10 year period would be an average top 25 team at, at least, um, in fact, they're 75 and 51 in the last 10 years. So basically seven and five every year, just three, three times in the last 10 years that were they in the top 25. So before Miami fans get too excited again, and they, I'm sure Miami fans know this. Um, yeah, you, you, you were fourth in the country in recruiting, but you still got to win in the fall. Um, <laughs> Clemson was second. Clemson always, Clemson does well with their recruiting. They, you know, they, they're usually in the top 10 nationally. They were second in the ACC. Uh, they were top 10 again this year. Florida state was, um, was third in the ACC. They had a 20th ranked class. Now I went back. Their last five classes averaged 18.8 in the national rankings, and they've been 26 and 33 in that stretch. So um, Florida State's getting to be like Miami as far as that goes. And actually, Mac Brown at Carolina, he had another uh, good class, not one of his better ones. He had it was this this year's class ranked 26. His last three had been 14, 14, and 11, and he's 30 and 21 in his. Um, four years at, at North Carolina. So, you know, 
Jerry, I mean, you've been covering the ACC for as long as I've been alive, I think. And I'm, I'm getting to be an older guy. Um, you know, in recent years, it seems like the knock on ACC football is, okay, yeah, you know, it's Clemson and everybody else. We got to get better recruiting, get better coaching. There's good coaches, and the recruiting's pretty good. It's just that outside of Clemson, it doesn't translate to wins on the field. But the recruiting's still pretty solid in the ACC. Yeah, and, you know, you look at the NFL draft every year, and usually the ACC is very well represented. Uh, sometimes even more so than than a lot of other more prestigious conferences um, and have a couple of times have been somewhat even with the SEC, which is uh, kind of surprising. But, yeah, it just hasn't translated to the football field. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. There are there are quality coaches in this league. Um, but when it comes to uh, some of the showdowns uh, with national powers, they just can't seem to get across that hump. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, you know, is Florida State back? Is Miami back? Uh, can Clemson rise to that playoff level again? Uh, NC State seems to be kind of hung in a spot that will be impressive and then kind of flop. Uh Carolina always gets the hype, but they always seem to flop. Um, Virginia Tech's been down. Wake Forest has actually been as impressive as anybody over the past five years, and which that sh really shouldn't be. <laughs> if you stop and look at it, they're one of the – I'll never forget Bill Dilley used to call them saying, well, we're the second smallest school in Division One football beside that that Rice school down in – that food school down in – in Dallas, talking about Rice University or Houston, I guess they're in. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, Wake, tiny Wake Forest and, and Dave Clawson uh, just continued to work magic down there. Uh, why some power school hasn't grabbed him uh, is beyond me because that guy can coach. Um, and, you know, everybody else just seems to be mediocre, Chris. And I, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to change that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not for lack of talent. That's what we can say that for sure. And, and the weird thing is here is as bad as the or, or as average as the coastal has been for quite a while. Um, the last couple of years, the door's been wide open for somebody to jump up and become the dominant power in the coastal. And Virginia had as good a chance as anybody when they had Bronco and, and he had things going there in 2019, won the coastal division, played in the orange bowl, played uh, Florida, top 10 Florida school, fairly, fairly well. Um, took on uh, Clemson and, uh, you know, nobody was beating Clemson in those days, really, unless you were Alabama maybe, but uh you know, the, the Coastal was up for grabs in Virginia again. Virginia, it was right there in their grasp, and they just let it slip through their fingers, and, and they've returned to mediocrity at best. And um, I don't know who you put that on, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it was a golden opportunity, and, and uh, it's gone now, it looks like. it's Yeah, as far as Virginia is concerned, certainly. And now that the ACC has gotten rid of divisions, it gets even harder. <laughs> no, no doubt yeah, about that. Absolutely. Well, let's switch gears to basketball. Um, the Virginia men's team, uh, 
number two in the country as of the last time we talked. Now with the uh, the the close loss at home, I'll call it a close loss. Virginia rallied late, made it interesting against Houston before losing by eight. Then played very raggedly <laughs> at Miami and still somehow only lost by two and actually had to ball at the end with a chance to tie or win. Um, Reese Beekman not healthy. The team, you know, playing well, uh, well, having decent results despite playing with that ragged nature. What do you think some of the stories are about this team the last couple of games? Um, I, you know, what mystifies me is how they get off to such, uh, got off to such a slow start and dug themselves in, in such a huge hole that they couldn't climb out of. Uh, nearly did, but they probably shouldn't have. Um, I don't understand how a team like that, knowing that you're going up against a top 25 program on the road, uh, a team that you've beaten the last six in a row, uh, including three at Miami, you're going up against a, a, essentially a Hall of Fame coach. And, you know, you can't you can't take anything for granted in a game like that. And how you walk into that place and not be ready to play from the get go kind of blows my mind. I, I don't I don't get it. Um, and I, I don't understand what happened late in the game. Uh, you know, Miami got in foul trouble. They, they're they not a big team to begin with. And instead, I kept waiting on Tony to bring, <clears throat> excuse me, Gardner and Shedrick back in to give Virginia a size advantage and maybe attack Miami inside. But he elected to stay small and played well and, and like you said, erased a, a double-digit deficit and had a chance to tie or win the game at the end, uh, and I don't blame Bigman for that. He was, he was, he lost a handle on the ball. He was just trying to uh, get down the floor and make something happen, but it should have never come down to that. And um, I, I was surprised that he decided to stay small, even though it worked. But uh, Virginia had a size advantage and, and didn't take advantage of it. You know, I noted um, when I went back uh, in a, for a game column after the game um, Tuesday night, Ryan Dunn didn't get in the game in the first half. In the second half, he got it checked in at the 16-minute mark, and he finally checked out, I think, in the last minute um, for offense uh, as Virginia was, you know, trying to put up some – some uh, at least have some guys on the floor to put up some threes. Um, in his 16 minutes, he had a plus-minus of plus 13. Virginia made up 13 points of that 15-point deficit with him in the game. Yeah. And, it's you know, Shedrick checked out after a minute and four seconds in the second half. Cafaro, uh, Cafaro, uh, we're now going to call him. Uh, Francisco. <laughs> that was that was odd. I mean, just, this, that was we've, been odd. Him, we've been calling him the wrong name for five years. Tell us, and we'll fix it. Um, But he played two minutes, 26 seconds in the second half, and then – those guys didn't see the floor again. Gardner saw the floor just a little bit in the second half, but they weren't effective in the first half. Um, you know, largely uh, they, you know, Virginia, Virginia stagnated when those guys were in the game. It was almost like, you know, it, it, it seems anachronistic to say back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, if you were bigger than the other team, you just fed the ball inside and then your, big, your, your bigger guys scored on the littler guys. It's almost like now, I mean, you see this in the NBA too. Teams who play small, quote small, and if your your biggest on the floor is six eight, 
um, they just run circles around the bigger teams and, and force coaches to respond the way Tony did Tuesday night. And so, you know, if what, what that means then is if you're going to have a guy like Shedrick out there, if he wants to play against smaller teams, he's going to have to play quicker. And um, yeah. he, he just wasn't effective. And so when they took him out, Ryan Dunn didn't do anything. He, he, he didn't score. He was over two from the floor. He had two rebounds in his, in his 16 minutes, but he played good position defense. He yes. moved the ball on offense, set screens. And just by doing that, not scoring, having two rebounds, that made Virginia 13 points better. That's not a good sign if you're Caden Shedder. No. And, uh, you know, and Laranega plays the pack line too. And that they usually never let a big man beat them. Um, in most cases, same as Virginia. So, um, yeah, uh, Shedrick and Gardner for that, uh, in that regard, they're both going to have to step up their games if they want to get more playing time. And, uh, particularly Shedrick because uh, he's the biggest guy on the floor in, in most cases. And yeah, I mean that's that's just the way it is. And uh, Dunn played excellent uh, position defense, as you said, and and shut down some uh, Miami players to some degree, and uh, made Virginia a much harder team to to deal with in the final fifteen minutes of the game or whatever. But um, yeah, I think I expect him to get a little bit more playing time as we move into the ACC schedule. Um, Franklin has been in a slump, and that, that hurts. Uh, they really need his scoring desperately, just like they did last year. Um, even though they have more scoring options than they did a year ago, uh, you can't afford for one guy to, to be 0-4. And uh, that's what happened to him against Houston when Vanderplas was 0 for whatever, and then Franklin O for whatever against Miami. That You can't have a, a starting guy or a, a key sixth guy unable to make a shot or unable to score. And that that hurt him dearly in, in both those games. Both tight games where a couple of buckets by either one is going to make a difference. Yeah. Isaac McNeely, too, he's getting minutes. He's playing good defense. He's doing everything but making the shots. But he was one for nine against Miami. Um, he, he ran those plays well with Vanderplas. There was a, a three-possession stretch where he and Vanderplas ran that little pick-and-pop on the sides uh, so perfectly and forced Laranega to change the way he played defense. He forced Laranega to get out of switching on screen uh, uh, or, or fighting through screens and made him switch on screens to take away Vanderplas. But those three bats, there were three three-pointers, one of them which included a foul, so a four-point play. That was 10 points at a time when Virginia wasn't scoring points. So, so McNeely was part of that, but you know, he's got to start making some of those shots. He's getting open looks. There were a lot, you know, in the first half, it seemed like to me, Virginia wasn't even getting good looks. They weren't running good offense. They weren't playing good on defense either, but they weren't, they weren't getting good looks. They were putting shots up. That's why the shooting was a problem in the first half. In the second half, they seemed to be running good offense. They just weren't making the shots. And, um, you know, so so a coach can fix if you're not running good offense. He can't fix it if you're not making the shots. And it seems like there's been it's, – it's been, you know, a, a stretch of four or five games now where they're just not making the shots when they do get the open shots that they're creating offensively. Which is really odd considering that they 
they were making those shots earlier when they beat Baylor and Illinois and Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were on fire. And now all of a sudden, uh, some of the guys are having trouble throwing one in the ocean. It's hard to figure. But, you know, Tony said something at, at the end of that game that, that he and the coaches, you know, uh, obviously in practice every day, they see the warts on this team. They know where the deficiencies are. And I think they were a little surprised that some of those things hadn't popped up earlier. And but now I think he has his team's attention and can work on some of those things going forward as we get ready to hit the ACC heavy in in about a week. Um, so you know were they overrated? I don't know that that's the case, but uh, they certainly have some issues that a lot of us maybe overlooked and the coaches saw every day in practice and and they're going to be working hard i'm sure to try to fix those before uh they go down to georgia tech on new year's eve they they have albany here after christmas but um i'm sure they're going to try to to focus on fixing those things before it's acc uh, from here on out you could really see tony too on tuesday night he was he was trying everything he could lineup wise he used 10 yeah. guys he yeah. hadn't used ten. He had, he hadn't used Caffaro in a while. I'm still getting used to saying Caffaro. I don't uh, know that I'll ever get used to that. I don't know if I ever get used to that. No, he's he's been around for so long, but he he hadn't used him in a while. He hadn't used Murray much. I think there was. I, I looked at the uh, season box score. Uh, one game that that Murray had played meaningful minutes in a in a contest against a you know top top flight opponent. Um, his other time, his other three games before uh, Tuesday night were in garbage time at the end of blowout wins. Um, but Murray got quite a few minutes of meaningful action on Tuesday night. So he was trying everything he could to find something in terms of chemistry that would work. And, you know, he, I guess he found a group at the end, um, but it was too late, unfortunately, uh, to, to, to mitigate what happened early on. And, you know, as much as it's frustrating that shots aren't going down, it's probably more frustrating for him. You know, that first half, again, they weren't running good offense, but there were too many easy looks for Miami. And honestly, in the Houston game, there were some breakdowns in in Houston. It seemed like they made every open shot when the breakdowns occurred. But there've been too many instances lately where there's a wide open three point shooter. And, you know, Hey, if, if they, if they're getting division one college scholarships for play at places like Houston and Miami, they should make wide open shots. So you shouldn't get mad when they're making all the wide open shots, but they're, they're making those shots. And, you know, they're not even getting a hand in their face. So that's what's got to frustrate Tony Moore is that the defense is breaking down as much as it is. Yeah, and and for him, one of his comments was, we got outplayed too much. And you don't hear him say that very often because if, if nothing else, his guys hustle and, and uh, play intense defense. And for him to say we got outplayed too much, that speaks volumes because something was missing. And um, – yeah, you could see the frustration on his face during timeouts and on the sidelines when, uh, and, and you know, they're letting some of the the uh, opposing guards really make big plays. And, and these guys are good players and they're going to make plays, but I, they shouldn't make as many as they did. The Wong kid, uh, I mean, he was throwing up all kinds of stuff and it was going in. Uh, but, 
uh, you know, usually they have a stopper that they can shut a guy like that down, but uh, uh, it hasn't happened the last couple of games. Uh, for the most part, uh, Houston had a couple of guys, and as good as Bigman and Kihei played defense, the, it was hard to shut down both of those guys for the length of a game. And, and then Wong the other night, um, he seemed to have his way much too often, much much more than Tony would have preferred, I'm sure. And Key, you mentioned Kihei's name. Uh, he had three points with 7.26 to go when he checked back in. Our colleague Scott German's texting me saying, Kihei shouldn't come back in. Um, Kihei made one more shot from the field the rest of the way. That little layup with 26 seconds to go. Um, but he scored 10 points. He had eight free throws. He, got, he was attacking the basket. Uh, he got three foul shots when he pump faked a guy into fouling him at the three-point line. Um, you know, that kind of thing is, is – and, and I think that was emblematic of the whole team effort. Yes, they didn't play well. They weren't running good offense for long stretches. They, you know, they had too many defensive lapses. But I'll give them some credit. Miami is a top 25 team. They've lost one yeah. game this year. They and, lost them, and they're an elite 18 from last year. And Virginia had the ball at the end with a chance to win. So as ugly as it was for Virginia, they willed themselves back into it. And I think Kihei, obviously, I, he was a big part of willing the team back into it. But, you know, that kind of shows. I mean, if they play more efficiently, more effectively, they've got the willpower to do it. They just – just haven't put it all together yet for, you know, in the last couple of weeks at least. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody should reach for a panic button there. The two teams they lost to are both <laughs> really good basketball teams. They're not going to face a whole lot of teams better than that. Uh, the remainder of this regular season for sure. Um, and one of those games was on the road, not an easy place to win as, as a rule, even though it's not a, a rowdy environment, but uh Nothing to be embarrassed about. And, again, had a chance to win uh, the Miami game. Could have played better against Houston. But, again, Houston is probably – I don't know that they'll see another team as athletic as Houston the rest of the way either. But um, it's early. It's December. Uh, Tony's still figuring things out. Um, uh, this team's best basketball is ahead of it. And – uh, as frustrating as it may have seemed the other night uh, to fans and even to Tony, uh, I, I think you know they'll get better and they'll they'll get it figured out. You're not going to go undefeated. You're not going to go undefeated. It's not going to happen. And uh, if you take a couple of lumps along the way and, and still have a chance to win, uh, you know you can't be too upset with that. And yeah, you know, I, I think things will will get better as they go as he gets them in the practice gym and, and works some of these issues out. Yeah, the last couple of nights in the ACC weren't friendly to anybody on the road uh, among the ranked teams. So it wasn't just Virginia. Uh, Duke lost at Wake Forest. Wake Forest had had an up-and-down uh, pre-ACC season. And then uh, I know Duke had, was missing a couple guys, but uh, Wake controlled that game from the start to finish. Mm -hmm. um, so that wasn't a, you know, a, a bad loss for, for Duke in, in a sense. Virginia Tech then goes up last night to Boston College, who had a ra very ragged uh, November and December. They lost to Maine at home. They lost to New Hampshire at home. And they beat Virginia Tech last night. So um, just going to show you that no matter who – I mean, Virginia loses at a ranked team on the road by two points, playing as, as, as bad as Virginia did for long stretches – um, Duke losing at Wake, Virginia Tech losing at BC. 
Um, the ACC is is it's it's tough to win on the road. You earn those pelts when you get them. Absolutely, and and that that never changes. And no matter if the league is up or down, there's a lot of road mods out there in the ACC for sure. And um, and you know, and, and as bad as Carolina had played for a while, they look like they're starting to put things back together again. So, uh, you know, there there's hope for anybody who's struggling and having issues. It just takes time sometimes to to get things in the right order. Uh, but uh, again, yeah, I, I think uh, I don't think Virginia fans should be overly concerned right now. I think they'll get it straightened out. So, Jerry, as we're getting ready to wrap up the show here, uh, we're just a couple of days away from Christmas. Uh, anything else on your mind uh, as uh, on Virginia sports or otherwise? Uh, not really. I mean, the, the women finally lost a game at Duke last night. Their perfect season went down the, went down the rabbit hole. And uh, uh, you, you knew that was probably going to come once they got into ACC play. The ACC is a pretty good league. And uh, – you know, credit to them for staying undefeated that long. Um, I think they'll be competitive uh, throughout most of their season. So, um, swimming and diving girls, uh, ladies uh, are continuing to rack up gold, Douglas and Walsh. Uh, hats off to them. And uh, uh, not much else, uh, Chris. Uh, things are probably going to be a little quiet for a few days now and um we'll be writing some more about recruiting and basketball and, and until things heat up again but uh I want to thank all of our advertisers out there uh Ragged Mountain Running Shop, UVA Orthopedics, Aberdeen Barn and the Good Feet Store for their continued support. Uh we couldn't do this without you guys and we appreciate you and we encourage our listeners to give you some business uh here over the christmas holidays and um we want to thank all of our listeners for uh tuning in this past year and uh, we wish you all a merry christmas and a happy prosperous new year indeed this next few days will be pretty much jerry the last lull we'll get um until april <laughs> uh as far because with the with men's basketball the women playing so well We'll have some football news, of course, to report on as more transfer portal news, hopefully some positive transfer portal news for Virginia um, pops up. Uh, yeah, uh, we better enjoy these next few days when it's pretty quiet because um, after this, it's a sprint for the next few months, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, basketball, college basketball and football nowadays are like the NBA and NFL used, used well, still are, but used to be just them. Now college sports, uh, football, basketball, is a year-long proposition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hardly any downtime in either of those sports anymore. I think you mentioned, too, baseball is not too far away. So we got a national – I'm sure a sure-to-be nationally ranked baseball program to keep up with as well. Um, you know, all the spring sports, lacrosse and softball and everything else. So, yeah, we, we, we better enjoy these next few days. And so for our listeners out there, um, y'all enjoy the next few days, too. Spend some time with family. Be safe, too. There's bad weather coming on the way. Some cold weather coming on the way. Yeah, so, stay warm. Um, stay warm. Stay safe. Don't don't fall on any ice. Um, at least on my side of the Blue Ridge. It's pretty icy out there right now, so be careful. Um, 
And uh, well, for any for more information on UVA sports, go to jerryratcliffe.com, go to augustafreepress.com, and uh, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Jerry's big on Twitter. Uh, you can email me at chris at augustafreepress.com if there are topics you want us to address in future stories, future podcasts, whatever the case may be. Merry Christmas, everybody, from the folks here at Jerry Ratcliffe Show and jerryratcliffe.com, augustafreepress.com. Thanks for joining us. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big-time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much I ran my first marathon that year. Then because I believed in the Goodfeet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Goodfeet store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. UVA Orthopedics and Sports Medicine boast one of the finest teams of doctors in the country, and they're right here in Charlottesville to not only provide care for the University of Virginia athletic teams, but also the Charlottesville and Central Virginia communities. UVA Orthopedics has been a proud sponsor of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show for the past two years, with numerous team members featured in weekly segments where doctors share great insight into various sports injuries, what causes them, how to treat them, and recovery time. Their team of experts are there for you and offer the best care to solve your health problems and get you back on your feet. Let their team of specialists get you back in the game. 